Today's sermon is from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, he said to them, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Put your finger here and see my hands, he then said to Thomas, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be an unbeliever, but a believer. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Have you believed because you have seen me? Jesus said to him. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Now, uh, Depending on your familiarity with uh, with uh, American memes, etc., and, and Western memes especially, uh, one of the one of the common it, what we call I think sociologists would call it a, a religious artifact. And what they mean by that is it's a it's a holdover. It's something that's in the culture, but the culture doesn't really know why it has it. Even it doesn't. It's just an expression. And one of, and, and it does, and it's it's a, its origin, its its original meaning, its context. That's not what's important. But we use it in our use this expression in our culture, a doubting Thomas. Are you a doubting Thomas? Or he's being a doubting Thomas? Or this is it? And there's a it's enough, you know. Our culture has enough Christian vestiges in it still, so that our language and our and some of our our idiomatic expressions still carry uh, a number of biblical ideas. And and this is one of them. And 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 you may have even if you completely unfamiliar with Christianity, come across this idea of the doubting Thomas. And this is where it comes from, from this text here right here in in John. Thomas is one of the 12 disciples. And, uh, you know, as I was was reading this this week, I I was writing my notes and I was like, what do we learn from Thomas? You know, a lot of times my my notes are often pages and pages of just me me just reflecting and praying. And um, I go back to my prayer. I said, dear father, how, what do I learn from Thomas? <laughs> and these were the two things that really jumped right away. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, noticed it even in the text here, but Thomas is so certain that 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 this isn't true. <laughs> he's the he is this uh, he's this great he's the great critic and doubter in this moment. You heard it from his own mouth. He he has this bluster and certainty and skepticism. Bluster and certainty and skepticism kind of makes sense that doubting Thomas is an expression used in the modern world, because that describes a lot of our world. But that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is all that bluster and certainty and and skepticism is just blown away by Jesus. It is blown away by the witness and love of Jesus. And and the reason that's that's sort of precious is because I think the spirit of this age intimidates us somewhat. The doubting Thomas attitude of this entire age that we, you can't prove what you believe and how dare you claim that 
that your 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 faith is so true when and it's just attitudes like that. And and Jesus just knocks Thomas over. And and I want you to know, maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you're listening to this and you have a certain amount of bluster and and skepticism and <laughs> and certainty. Uh, Jesus can blow that away. I'm just telling you, you meet Jesus, he'll blow you away. It, it's just the way he is. He blows everybody away. <laughs> and I I that that round the gate, I just that's the first thing I, I saw. And the second thing I saw was that I and I and I think this is gonna really form and frame the attitude. Both these points are going to form and frame the attitude I want to, I think we should adopt here is that, is that just the pure, just the pure tenderness of Jesus. You see, Jesus can be pretty sharp in the Bible. And he was so sharp at times that the disciples are described as being afraid to talk to him, <laughs> afraid to ask him a question, even afraid to tell him what they're talking about, afraid he's going to, I mean, it's funny. In a com is a certain comedy to it, but they're very intimidated by him. And um, and he doesn't despise Thomas. He doesn't even rebuke Thomas. He is perfect tenderness and touch, touch me. Ah, oh, oh. what a savior! But what I want to draw your attention to today is where you and I intersect this text. Because you see, Jesus breaks the third wall here as he's talking to Thomas. He breaks the third wall. What's the third? Is it the third or the fourth wall? I can't remember. Which one is it? When you when the when an actor talks to the screen? It's the third wall, right? Yeah. And so, like, uh, so you'll see this in a movie. It's a technique. Uh, it was used a lot in recent movies. Uh, Deadpool is one of them, some different movies that people watch. But it's where they, 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 uh, the, the, the actor is in the middle of the story, and then he turns to the screen and talks to you. And it, I don't particularly like that in, in movies. Because when, when movies do it, I always go, ah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you just, it just kind of pulled me out of the story, and now I remember I'm watching a movie and that this, this was written by somebody who has a point. Well, you know what? I tended to treat, tended to treat Christ's words like that here at first. But, but almost like, oh, yeah, oh, this is just a shout out to everybody who wasn't there. But I don't think I, I was wrong. I wasn't seeing it, seeing something here. And what I mean is, look at this one. This is what this is what we're going to be looking at today. Blessed, the, the beatitude, the, the, the blessing that Christ, that Christ speaks over you and me. Everybody who wasn't in that room where that happened and what, wishes they had been there, you know, wishes they could have been seen it or, or been a part of touching that. And Jesus seems to turn, and, and John caught it, and, and they're all in that room, and John recorded it for us because Jesus seems to turn and say, I have a blessing for all you folks, all you out there who never saw this stuff and believe. You know what? I want to I wanna, I wanna know that blessing, don't you? Whatever that blessing is, and that's what I'm hoping we'll unpack today, because I want to be blessed with that because it feels like a short change. It feels like I've been somehow, I'm not getting the full boat. Like, it's like, a, like well, wait a second. I want, I want to be there, you know? You see, and, and, and it requires a faith, a commit, a kind of a, a trust in God. I really think a, a total surrender is where we're going here. And let me, let me show you what I hope to do today as we, as we open this part of the Bible. And we'll be using other parts of the Bible to help us understand it. And our first point is just to look at God's understanding. It is limitless. 
it's limitless. And and really, that's what's what we'll, we'll unpack why why we go there. But that 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 is held in tandem with human understanding is so small and broken. Our human understanding is so small and broken. And when we understand these two things, I think in perspective that God's understanding is limitless, and our human understanding is so small and broken. We're ready. We're ready then to enter the blessing of believing without seeing. And, and I think it's a blessing that's deeper than we, we might have thought. It's a, it's a blessing that can touch every part of your life. Uh, and so, uh, but let's, uh, we, let's, let's, you know, let's look for the Spirit to, to show us what the Word says, not, not me. And so, uh, and so let's look for Him to, to be here and present. So Christ breaks the third wall here. And I, I, I guess what I want to turn to right away is, is just this guy, God's understanding is so limitless. Now, the reason it kind of came to me is, you know, this whole idea of Jesus appearing in the room when the door's locked. I mean, come on. Doesn't that, isn't that a little weird to you? Why does Jesus have to be so magical? Like, why does he have to be able to walk through walls? And, I, I, you know, it's funny. If I was telling this story to the modern audience, I'd want to soft sell some of those points because... It seems to strain credulity. It seems to stretch believability. It seems to be more implausible. But that's not God's, that, that, God isn't interested in any of that. God is God. This is just what happened. It's not, it's not put in to, to, to amplify the text and make you think it's special. It's not a detail of fiction. It's their experience of someone who simply was not merely human. And they were lost to understand it. And there's an unembarrassed supernaturalism uh, in him. And I, I love that. He's not embarrassed like we are. But, but what, what, what I want to talk about God's understanding, it, and when you're familiar with some of these ways, we, a lot of times we, uh, we quote, uh, we use Romans 11, 33, uh, Isaiah 40. This is a big and rich theme in the Bible. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of everywhere. It's God's understanding so much greater than ours. And we see it first here in Isaiah 55 as a meant as a question of scale. Look at verses eight and nine. Or, you know, I, I always talk about these these little um, these little structures in Hebrew where it's A, B, A, and that happens right here. My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways are not my ways, <laughs> neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's the center of the, this chiasm, that's how much higher my ways are than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it's repeating, he repeats himself. In the first part, in the last part, but the middle bit is heavens as as high as the heavens are than the earth. It's, so it's a question of scale. Why? How different are God's thoughts than ours? How different are they? Well, first difference we experience is simply a matter of scale. And 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 the ancients could look at the heavens and realize how big they were compared to them, but we have seen further. And and our and our and 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 we and our telescopes have told us, and we have seen truly, the universe is more vast and ancient than anybody suspected. And the point is, that's how much greater God's greater than all that. And as greater as the universe is than the than this little this little ball planet Earth that spins around our sun is is compared to the rest of the galaxy. That's how different. That's how 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 the scale of God's knowing, the mere scale of God's understanding. Is that much greater than ours? Woo! Yeah, mind blowing. Woo! It's just kind of a limitless. But it, it, and and, that, and I think we all kind of get that. 
And we all kind of was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And and uh, it really puts God, in, it, it really gets him out of some boxes that maybe we put him in, and we tend to limit God. But I want you to notice something. That's not what this text is merely about, though. Because the differences of God between God's thoughts and our thoughts are a question of scale, as it says right there in verse 9. And I'm looking for my little, my little pen. Oh, well. But in verse 9, but... Uh, look, 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 look back here. Look at verse eight. Look at, look right here where it says four. Oh gosh, darn it. Look where it says four there, that first word in verse eight, because my thoughts are not your thoughts. So this explanation of God's scale being greater is an explanation about something else. It's a reason for something else. And one of the reasons that our thoughts are not like his thoughts is in verses six and seven. And we miss this because God's thoughts are not merely different than us in scale. We also find they're different from us in kind, in the sort of thoughts that they are. In other words, he doesn't even, it's, it's one thing to say that his thoughts are so huge. It's quite a different thing to say his thoughts are that different too. They're of a different character than ours. And what's the difference of their character? Let, let him return to the I am so that he may have compassion on him. Let him return to our God because he will abundantly pardon because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Ah, you see the kinds of thoughts that God has as the eternal God are thoughts of grace and pardon and compassion. <laughs> and that I think is the sort of God that nobody expects. And that, and, and right at this point, as, as we begin, if God helps us to see him, because you're really gonna need God to help you with this. Otherwise, you we, we, God needs to show us this, but his under, the character of his understanding is limitless in that its scale, wow, and then it is ca it's complete. And what are we finding here? It's so completely different than what we expect. Uh, the challenge then is what? The challenge of constantly again and again, with Jesus right there in John 20, as he's talking to his disciples, as he, as he offers the blessing even, is to realize, wait a second, Wait a second, God is bigger than my imagination. And I need to use my imagination to get him bigger than I think he is today. There is an adventure in the Christian life of expanding your, your sense of the greatness of God. Because as your, as your understanding expands, it only begins to touch that true greatness, which is greater than our imagination can conceive. Praise you. Get God out of the box. Maybe you have God limited in some way or some way you think he can or can't do or will or won't do. Who are you to know? Be wondered. Be, be amazed. You look at Kobe, you think, oh, he's so weak. No, don't listen to any of that. His ways no man can fathom. Who is like our God? Who will, who will instruct him? You see, it's, it's scale and character. Nothing like ours. So the first thing it tells us is your God is too small. But the second thing it tells us, it, 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 well, at first, is, is it invites us into uh, our imaginative wonder of our faith. But the second thing, I think, is that it, we, should, we should look for the delight of surprises. I'm looking at one of the delight of surprises right now. It's my wife. God has surprises for us. Surprises in his love. I have another surprise here. Where's Parker? He's another surprise. We, we, God delights in, in surprises. And I, my life is full of them. Are yours? Do you, do you, have you been able to identify and catalog and see and, and maybe learn to expect even during COVID that there are, there are little delightful surprises? Yes, because this is a God nothing like what you think. And his scale is so insounding. Uh, there's a, we were watching this, this show, uh, Limitless. 
And, uh, you know, it's kind of corny. It's about taking a little pill. And it was a show based on a movie with Bradley Cooper. And you take the pill and you really become like a god. You become super genius. Better living than chemistry, right? <laughs> Silly. But there's a moment when he takes the pill. The colors change. In the, in the video colors change. They, they turn, I mean, I think we were reading a review, weren't we, that pointed it out, so we noticed it. The colors changed. And, and then you would notice that his thinking, they would represent his thinking of the man on this super drug as, as limitless. And, and you see him tunneling. You see his vision, like, tunneling fast, seeing all the details. And I thought, that's just a little, little glimmer of how God sees everything all the time. Of how he, and how he unifies all of his knowledge all the time. He's just not like us. Wow. <laughs> and that, that's so essential for us to set this up because we have to set up, we have to set up the God we're going to trust, right? That's who he is. So uh, this unembarrassed supernaturalism just kind of comes out, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't be embarrassed by it. Look for the surprises in the supernatural, whose God is acting supernaturally today and now in our midst. But let's go on though, because we want to. I want to. I want to make that with another idea. God's understanding is limitless. Human understanding is so small and broken. This is a. This is a, a fundamental concept. Is that is that when man when we fell with our first parents in Adam and Eve and, and the fall and wreck of humanity, nothing is preserved fully. Nothing is. Nothing is without cracks. Even the intellect and the logic, even the mind, even the analysis of data, even the gathering of data, you think, oh, that could be objective, or maybe math is objective, or maybe I can find some. No, you can't. And, and it doesn't exist. And so uh, human understanding is so small and broken, so paralyzed and so, so limited. Let's take a look at what the scriptures say about human understanding. I want to begin if we are not a Christian. Look at Romans one twenty one. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This is describing people who see God, who are acknowledgers of a higher being, because they can see it in all the evidence around them. They see it in the love of their own hearts or the beauty of nature. But if they don't acknowledge him, if they don't turn to Jesus himself, what does he say? They become futile in their thinking. They can't think their way out of the situation in which they have denied the true author of life because they're not living in reality anymore. And their hearts were darkened. And heart there just doesn't mean like the, the big rosy heart in, and we use in like a Hallmark card. <clears throat> the Bible heart means your whole understanding, everything from your will, your emotions, and your affections. It's the whole person is living in darkness. Why do, I, why do I start out the gate like this? God won't make any sense to you until you, you admit that you, you can't make any sense of him. Until you submit to him. And your mind in darkness is going to have to cry out for him to remove it. And so a lot of what I'm saying is it's going to sound like gobbledygook. It's going to sound like it has something truth in it, but it won't. You need saving faith. You're going to need God to do something new in your heart and life and call on him to do it. But let's look at the second text, 1 Corinthians 8, 2, and 3. Because you, as a, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're, maybe, you're stout, maybe you heard Downing Thomas, you're like, that's me. <laughs> I have a hard time with this stuff. Well, I want you to be encouraged that Christians don't really know that much more than you. <laughs> and if they act like they do, you can always call them out on it. If anyone thinks he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. An odd thing for the Bible to say. He's talking about food sacrificed idols there. But 
I, I, let me tell you, so you as a skeptic, let's say you're not a Christian, if any Christian acts like they know more than you, <laughs> like they, they know more about the world, you should be very suspicious about anybody who acts like they know a lot and doesn't, you know, you got to be careful about those attitudes. And, and, and what am I describing? Yes, you Christian, be careful about your attitudes. Um, if you're a Christian who likes to tell others what to do or think, <laughs> be careful. Now, you may be asking, you may be asking uh, uh, yourself, uh, 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 who is this really aimed at? And I'll tell you who this is aimed at. This text is aimed at me. This is a text for pastors, isn't it? Pastors need to hear this text first because we often imagine we know better than other people. When in fact, the Bible tells us if we think that way, we've already betrayed ourselves as people without the spirit. You see, the minute you take that pot, you, 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 you telegraphed it to everybody. And I have done that. I've made that mistake myself so many times. And I want to repent of those things. But, it, but it's telling you something here. Something, something's building here. The human understanding is after the fall is so broken, it's futile. But even redeemed understanding, even redeemed, even those of people of faith, can think they know things when they don't. And then we come to 1 Corinthians 13, 12, this amazing text. For we see now in a mirror dimly. We see now in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's this mirror dim? Oh boy, what a text. Oh boy. You know what that word dimly is? It's the word enigma. It's the word for riddle. And the word that mirror, that word for mirror, is a word, oh, it, it, so the rabbis had all sorts of theories about how Moses was able to see God. You remember Moses met God and it says he saw his after effects? Well, the rabbis want to know how that's possible because the Bible says, no man sees my face and lives. But it says that Moses talked to him face to face. So Ezekiel says he saw him. Isaiah says he saw him. And so the rabbis were really confused by that. So this is what they said. This is what they claimed. That he must have had a mirror. I never heard that. I was, I was blown away by this. He must have had a mirror. God gave Moses a mirror. Moses only had one mirror, so he had a clearer view. But Ezekiel had, I think, nine mirrors. I don't know why Ezekiel has nine mirrors or all the other prophets have nine mirrors. And what the rabbis were trying to do in their interpretation of the Bible is they were trying to talk about how could you see God and have that revelation but not see, you know, but not see him in a way that consumes you. And so Paul borrows very rich, very deep, and actually even in Greek, these words mean riddle and mirror. That mirror concept has a seer. You know what? In Greek, oh, yeah, yeah, this is cool. You remember mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the loveliest of them all? Remember when that happens? Who's the, who's the, who's the evil, evil witch who does that? I can't remember. Do you remember? And anyway, it's Snow White though, right? But the mirror, mirror on the wall. That's, that, that is from an ancient idea that mirrors were ways of looking into the future. They were ways of seeing God. It's really, it's, I didn't know any of this stuff, but, but why do I bring all this up? The mirror dimly, the enigma, the riddle mirrored. Because that's, that's our understanding, guys. The, the, the meeting place of God's limitless understanding and our, in our, in our, in our slow and limited understanding is a place of mystery and enigma and riddle. And it is extraordinarily hard to understand at times. It, it requires a wisdom from the Holy Spirit. 
And so when we enter in, this is all a buildup to, to going to, I want to enter the blessing of believing without seeing. And the only way we're going to get there, I think, is when we begin to see that God has an understanding that we will never fathom here, ever. We're going to be left in the enigma of a reflection. And that is the, that's the best our knowledge can get. That's Paul. That's amazing. Why take this time to do this? Well, first, I guess I, we're going to come to this text because of Proverbs 3. If you have not memorized these, these uh, it's not 5 through 12, it's only 5 through 7, sorry. But these, these few verses, if you have not memorized them yet, you ought to devote yourselves this whole year to memorizing them till they, they, you can say them backwards. I use this text every time I'm scared and afraid, every single time, because it is the great, one of the greatest promises in the Bible. But what is one of the promises about it? Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Do you know this proverb? Do you see the man or the woman? Do you see that person who thinks they know things? There's more hope for a fool than there is for that person. That's what the wisdom of the Bible tells us. People who think they're, they know things are the most dangerous people in the world. People who are wise in their own eyes, in their own estimation. Uh, do not lean on your So what is this? Well, at the gate, what this teaching is about to tell you is stop trusting yourself. Maybe you think your intuition or your logic or your analysis or your gathering of data is good enough to beat this rap, but it isn't. And all you're doing and your commitments to your own certainty are unwinding yourself and wounding and hurting. And it's always like this, right? Because you, because you're, you're grasping for something that doesn't. It, it's, it's only you. You're, you're leaning on your own understanding. I, you know, I think it, this is such a, such a huge uh, blind spot in a lot of in my own tradition, Reformed faith, where understanding is exalted so high. And I loved that, and sought that, and cherished it, and, and lived in it, and found my identity in it, and then, and then saw God take it away. Praise Him. Because a lot of the, our theology and a lot of our ideas are really accumulations where we imagine that we know and we don't. And, oh, Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, be good to us. Stop trusting yourself. Stop thinking you've got the corner because you don't. And, 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 and then seek understanding that comes in and by him. Seek the understanding that he gives. Seek the understanding that he blesses with, that he grants that he fills us with, but that can only hum come first one way, when you've humbled yourself to say, I don't know anymore. If there's one thing that COVID is doing, and it's a blessing to us, it is bringing so many of us to the same place where we say, I don't know what is going on, and I don't understand. Praise him. Praise him. For such an end of yourself is the beginning of hope. Right? Oh, yes, it is. Why? And we went to entering the blessing of believing when we can't see. Believing without seeing. What is this believing without seeing? It's right here when Christ says these wonderful, wonderful phrase to Thomas. Don't be an unbeliever. Be a believer. Don't be an unbeliever but a believer. I, uh, <laughs> so what, what are we being asked to do? It is the language 
of total surrender. Entering into the blessing of believing without seeing can only happen when we adopt the language and the attitude and the heart attitude of total surrender. All of your heart, all of your ways, trusting and acknowledging, fearing and turning away, repenting. Praise Him. You have the two positive to trust. This word trust in the Hebrew means to be gullible. It means to believe anything he says just because he says it. I want to live like that. I want you to live like that. If we live like that, we live in hope because we, we don't have to understand. We can merely trust. Trust and obey, as the song says. But this trust and acknowledge of to bring and acknowledge every it's like going through an inventory saying this and this and this and this that's acknowledging and this and this and in my work and my marriage and my kids and my and my career and my and my and everything, everything. my heart and my romance everything everything you want everything you want it's acknowledging all the parts and that's the positive and then the fear we had it if you didn't if you didn't hear the message on fear a couple of weeks ago but this fear is, it almost has a this trembling sense and turning and running away from evil as we as we looked at, that's the word for repent. It means to do a U-turn. Do a U-turn from evil. And notice, I want you to notice something. Uh, Yao Li said this this week, and I, I want to read this quote because it was so, I thought it was so powerful. Oops, sorry. Um, it was so powerful because one thing she learned from the service, and she said, you know, what she realized was it's more important in repentance what you turn to than what you turn from. Isn't that beautiful? It's more important in repentance what you turn to, who you turn to, than even what you turn from. Because his ways, his understanding is limitless. And our ways, what do we know? We don't know anything. We're clawing. We, we know what the things he's told us. We have all his beautiful revelation. But even at the end of the day, we're, we're in the middle of suffering. And we don't understand. We can't put it together. Without total surrender, we can't get anywhere. Without this total scene, and, and this is why I want you to commit this to, to memory, so this becomes the litany and the attitude and the, and the posture of your heart forever. And if you don't know Jesus, this is the, this is the reason the verses to pray. But if you don't know Jesus, say, ask him, show me how to trust you with all my heart. Show me how, just ask him. Just ask him. Don't be afraid. Test him. Oh, you may say, are we allowed to test God? We better be. We better be. But what do we do now? Right now I, I, I'm preaching this. I'm asking for total surrender. I'm asking for people who don't know Christ to give up everything they thought before and follow him. I'm asking Christians to stop questioning and stop thinking they understand things and beginning to submit to him. How are we going to do that when we've got so many doubts? Right? Doubts. Didn't we begin with doubting Thomas? Don't we often feel like doubting Thomas? We feel like doubting Thomas got the break we would have wanted. Don't don't listen to that heart. I know your heart says things like that. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Because when Jesus, when Jesus had Thomas put his hand in, he put his hand in for you. So that Thomas's witness would always encourage doubters. But what should we do with doubt? This problem of doubt in the Bible. I remember somebody telling me that they had come from a Christian tradition. I can't remember which one it was, but. In their tradition, they had always been told that doubt was always sin. If you questioned anything, it was sin. Boy, that's heavy. <laughs> if you come from a Christian tradition like that, you tend, they tend to use James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Woo! So, in some traditions, you should be thankful if you didn't, if you didn't, if you didn't come up under this kind of bondage. Uh, you're told as a kid you, to never question anything you're told. That's, that's not biblical, guys. That's not what this is talking about. Because I believe there's a, there is a holy doubt. There's a doubt that comes from faith. Look, look at this. Look at this in Matthew 28. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is the Great Commission, the very last words of Christ in Matthew. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. They're all going to meet with Jesus. And he's about to give them his last words. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Oh, that sounds right, right? They worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them all, he doesn't even, doesn't even stop Jesus. And it's interesting that there's no condemnation. These people are struggling to get this together. They just saw a man rise from the dead. Who could get, their brains are firing. And it's interesting to me. We tend to think those ancients were gullible. Obviously, like Thomas, they weren't. They weren't fools. They weren't idiots. They weren't, they weren't pre-scientific morons believing everything anybody said to them. Anybody thinks that it just doesn't, doesn't know what people are like or what the ancients were like. So, but look at this. It gets even better. Look at Acts 17, 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. This is when uh, Paul's out doing his missionary journeys. They received the word with all eagerness, but they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They doubted Paul. And they were called noble for it. There is a noble doubt. Uh, there is a doubt born of faith in God. Yes. Let's take a look at this. A holy doubt? Yes. The doubt that comes from faith is holy. And it asks, is this really from God? Prove it. And, and standards for proof are met in the New Testament. And, and if you think, well, scientific for standards for proof haven't been met for me, then, then you're playing games. Because the way you believe things and the very, the very standards you use for belief are in the Bible and met by the Bible and met by the scriptures. But that's all, that's another part. Because it's, but, but the doubt that comes from faith is a holy doubt that asks, is this, it says, well, did God really say that? I, I want to know, is this really from God? This is, what gets the, this is the doubt of Gideon. This is the doubt of the noble Bereans. And they want to know, this is the doubt of Thomas, I believe. But there also is a doubt that comes from unbelief, and it's sinful. And what does it say? Does God really love me? He needs to prove it. Why is that such a sinful thing to say? Because God has said he loves you hundreds of times. And when you say, does he really love me? What you're really saying is, I don't believe his word. He's got to make his word get bigger for me. So you can't do that. That's, that's a heart. That's, that's doubt coming from your flesh. That's doubt coming from a place of darkness and anger. That's doubt, like many of us do experience it. But there is a noble doubt, isn't there? There's a holy doubt created by the Holy Spirit. So uh, I know it's funny. Uh, so let's say you're a non-Christian and you're like been doubting everything I've been saying. You're like doubting Thomas. And I, I want you to hear that doubting Thomas is there for you if you're not a Christian to say and to turn to you across the thousands of years and look at you and say, hey, hey, guy, hey, girl, if you don't believe I was like that and I proved it so you can trust me. In a sense, he stands for all the doubters forever in that way. All those who have a noble doubt, because they know to make have extraordinary claims, you need extraordinary proofs, right? And that was provided in the mercy of Jesus.
beautifully. Now, and, and actually, that that extraordinary claims extraordinary proof is uh, something. Uh, who's the guy who did the cosmos? Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan used to say that. Uh, I want to make sure I did. That wasn't original to me. So, 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 what do we do with doubt? Well, let, let's take and, and let's take and we ask: Is this really from you? And we go to the scriptures and we trust them. Now, absolute surrender does not mean absolute idiocy. That everybody who comes with us some new idea that they think is true that we have to believe. We don't have to believe anything anybody tells us unless they can prove it from the Bible. You don't have to believe a thing I say unless I can prove it from the Bible. That this test goes to me too. I am under. I am under authority. You ne need never believe something merely because I said it. Praise Him that He has spoken. It is his words we go to. It is his words we trust. But I want to go a little further because I think entering the blessing of believing without seeing is giving your life to Christ and humbling your heart and your mind and your attitude with doubts. But it also, I think it affects how we pray. We know that doubt is so holy, it's a part of our prayer lives. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we this, 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 the limits of human understanding, I guess, is instead of doubt. That's what I really meant. But we do not know what to pray for. I, right here, we say we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep with words. Have you ever really thought about what that must mean? Because if you're going to pray and you're going to groan, you don't even know what to say, then how the heck are you going to even know what God answers? If you don't know what's being prayed, even by the Spirit, as you groan because you can't give words to it, how are you going to know what the answer is? And you find that in prayer, in true Holy Spirit prayer, you're almost doubly blind. You can't see either the answer or the request. You just have your own heart and its, its futility and, the, and, and your own limited understanding meet the understanding of an amazing God, and you don't know what to do. Praise Him. He meets us at this moment with a blessing. It's the blessing of believing without seeing, even with unanswered prayer. Even when we were faced with our own failure and we wonder where God is. Those are the moments, that is the place uh, of a holy obedience and prayerful, earnest seeking of God. It's, isn't it interesting that this, the burning moment, this burning place on your knees where prayer is is this moment of great submission where, where where you are asking from things from a sovereign immutable God and things are happening and none of that makes any sense because our understanding is so crippled and so unable to and yet his understanding is limitless and our prayers move countries and nations and people and things people are healed praise him and then you will say to me well did God change his mind what do I know? What do I know? All I know is that God told me to ask. And I ask, and it happens. I don't need to reach in. And, and you know, it's funny. As I, and we want to wrestle. And we want to wrestle. And our hearts are broken by our spirit. I was writing this down in, uh, somewhere over here. Was, you, know, uh, it, you know, this walking in absolute trust means whether or not I know, whether or not I succeed, whether or not I die, whether or not I suffer. It's, that's the groaning there. And you begin to realize that this is a way, this is a characteristic. It's part of the paradox of the Christian life, the enigma and the riddle, is that we have so much information from him in the Bible, so much knowledge of his love, so much knowledge of judgment, so much knowledge of his law. 
Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about this. You can go look that up. The, 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 uh, the, reveal, the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children so that we may obey them. Obey them. We have a lot of revealed, but there's a lot of stuff not revealed. And then usually the stuff not revealed is the stuff we really want to know, right? And that's the place where absolute dependence comes in and this total surrender. And the attitude and the language and, and the position and the posture and the heart of total, this all of the heart and all of it, this totally giving up your own understanding and leaning on him completely and him making your path straight. Of being gullible, of saying, oh, God said it. Oh, then I, I should never worry about it, right? See, this is a very simple heart here that lives in total dependence. You might even say, well, that sounds like an anti-intellectualism. It is not. It's not at all. For it, 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 I love uh, to, to, to dwell into the enigmas themselves and the riddles. It, it, really is, it really is a return to rationality. This is a return to the way the universe really is. Our Creator God, but I and so you know I was thinking this last part here. Prayer sometimes when we have answer prayer, it can lead to resentment, and it can lead to a sense of of grin and bear it, and a sense of well, I'm just going to suffer along. But I, I really think when we're here in this attitude of total dependence, we should see every no from God as that's not good enough for you, my daughter. That's not good enough for you, my son. What you ask for isn't good enough for you. I want something better. That's, the, that's what the promises of God say to us. And a radical and absolute trust and absolute dependence like this can free us, you see, to live in that moment where we, we are fully trusting that every no is out of love. <laughs> every no is from a tender God who loves us. Praise Him. I... Uh, but I want to come back to this because I, I, I don't want to, I, I want you to hear one thing. Did you notice these were in the text? Because this brings us back to Thomas. This was in two of the texts we look at in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 13. If anyone thinks they know something. But look at this. If anyone loves God, though, what? He is known by God. If anyone loves God, if she is known by God. Isn't that funny? And all of a sudden you're at the limits. You're like, wait a second. The Bible tells me I don't understand anything, or I understand very little, and God understands everything, and then it comforts me by saying he understands me, <laughs> like he loves and knows me. And this is the knowing, by the way. This is the knowing of intimate passion and connection and, and union, all oh, by faith, that you're being invited into all the time in his love. Look in verse 1 Corinthians 13, I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. This is actually the way that David ends his prayer, isn't it? In Psalm 139, know me, know me. Do you ever ask God to know you? You're asking God when you do that. When you ask God to take his limitless understanding and point it at you, well, you're opening up all sorts of understanding then that you never guessed was possible. Let's talk about Thomas. Let's end with Thomas. Let's end with Thomas. First of all, when he said, my Lord and my God, when he says, my Lord and my God, Jesus doesn't correct him, does he? Because Jesus knows he is Lord and God. And, 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 and Thomas, that is the clearest statement of Christ's divinity in the whole New Testament. It's right out of his mouth. It's an explosion of worship, and it's glorious. People, men have tried to tear it apart because it's such a final, complete, absolute statement of somebody who personally saw it. 
and tells you now, he is the Lord Almighty. He is God. Do you also notice something else in the statement? It's, it's my Lord and my God. I hear, I see it, Thomas. The passion of surrender. The passion of surrender. He is known. You can be known by God. You see, even though we can't have a, our understanding is so limited, we can truly be known by him and have an intimacy that, that transforms us, gives us hope. Gives us so much hope. Listen to this. Doubting Thomas. Thomas goes further than any other disciple. Travels over 5,600, over 5,600 miles, which would have been on foot for him, to India, to Goa, to spread the gospel. Isn't it uncanny that the, the, the doubting Thomas, the, the, the blustery the bluster and certainty of a skeptic was transformed when we, and we sometimes identify with, was transformed into what? The most sold out and radical obedience of all the disciples to go to the furthest, uttermost parts of the earth for the sake of this Savior. And I pray that that is what God will do with us. And, that, and he will know us that way. He will know us fully. <laughs> So that we can be released into the ministry, into his ministry, and into the passionate service and absolute dependence on him. Let's pray. Oh, dearest Father. Oh, dearest Father. Your understanding is without limit. Oh, the, how vast is your mind. How uncomprehensibly huge you are. I. You're vaster than the universe, a more ancient than who is like you. I, our telescopes have shown, shown us you're, 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 you're greater than we ever guessed, than Abraham could have even begun to imagine, or even Isaiah. And yet, it's funny, we know all that, and we think even less of you in these days. That is so shameful of us, Father. Show us how your thoughts not only are vast, but they're all they're a vast they're vast and they're full of love and pardon and compassion. Father, we confess that our understanding is so limited and shallow, and and yet we have trusted it again and again and again and again. And Father, I I first confess that is my great sin. To think I know things. Oh, I'm so ashamed of myself. Would you forgive us for this, Father? And, and would you bring your knowledge, your understanding to people who don't believe through this message today? And, and would, you, would you bring new understanding and new joy and new knowledge of you and a new, a new conquering of doubts in our hearts, a new surrender and joy to you and, and to you? And, and would you, and, and a new understanding of unanswered prayers and living, living in surrender before you, and even when we don't get it all? And we don't, Father. We don't, but we know, I, I guess what this is all bringing me to, uh, bringing us to right here is forgive us for wanting to know what's going to happen with COVID or to know what the best way to deal with stuff is and not just seeking to be known by you. And that's mysterious to us. We don't even know what it means. We barely can grasp but you are willing to know us in every little part. We're asking for that for every one of us, for our kids, for every one of us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.